Citizen Science, an ingenious tool for crowdsourced data mining, or an inspiring outreach endeavor? Or could it possibly be both? I'm Meg Rosenberg, and today on the podcast, we take a look at a few of the physics and astronomy projects that are gaining momentum in the world of citizen science. Whether you want to discover new planets, track down interstellar particles, or search for signs of the Higgs boson, there's a way for you, yes, you, to get involved and make a real contribution. Now, the term citizen science hasn't been around for very long. It just entered the Oxford English Dictionary in June of 2014. Broadly speaking, it refers to the strategy of enlisting non-expert volunteers from the general public to sort through large datasets and perform tasks that are usually not easily accomplished using software. Most projects these days make ample use of the internet to recruit citizen scientists, but this idea goes back a lot farther than you might think. Back in the um, late 50s, there was a project called Operation Moonwatch that was run by the Smithsonian, and the idea was to recruit amateurs, amateur ham radio operators mostly, you know, they were the kind of the hackers of the day, and to track the first satellites. That's Dr. Andrew Westfall, a senior fellow and research physicist at the Space Sciences Laboratory at the University of California, Berkeley. Operation Moonwatch coordinated thousands of amateur satellite spotters, among them Westfall's father, James Westfall, who went on to help design the main camera for the Hubble Space Telescope and to direct Caltech's Palomar Observatory. These amateur astronomers and radio operators volunteered their time to track the Soviet satellite Sputnik at a time when larger tracking systems weren't yet up to the job. And Westfall sees them as ancestors, in his case, literally, to the citizen scientists of today. So what's changed since then? We were one of the first citizen science projects really to use the internet in an effective way. The project he's talking about is called Stardust at Home, and Westfall is the project director and principal investigator. In 2006, NASA's Stardust mission returned a capsule to Earth containing precious cargo, a tennis racket-sized disk covered in aerogel, a kind of ultra-low-density foam that traps little bits of space dust. The spacecraft followed Comet Wild 2 with its collector outstretched to snag cometary ejecta and the odd interstellar particle, a dust grain that formed outside of our own solar system. This is, of course, the stuff that we think really it's the same stuff that made up the solar system, the sun, the planets, and us. So it's really about getting at our own origins. When one of these particles hits the collector, it plows into the aerogel, leaving a little tunnel or track behind it. The challenge here? There aren't that many interstellar particles trapped this way, and they're really hard to find. The problem is that we had to search for uh, these tiny, tiny little tracks, uh, tracks of, of particles of order of a micron in size or smaller, um, in a collector uh, about a tenth of a square meter in area. And when you do the math, it turns out that that you know, requires searching up, uh, almost a million fields of view. And we realized that it would take us something like 100 years if we were going to do it ourselves, even to just make one pass. So the team turned to the Internet. It was a move made out of total desperation because we really didn't know how else to approach the project. 
Volunteers who sign up for Stardust at Home, or dusters as they call themselves, go through some preliminary training and then start searching for interstellar particle tracks from the comfort of their own homes. And what they're doing is using what we call a virtual microscope. So it's, it's like a real microscope that operates on a web browser. And what it's presenting are images that are taken by an automated microscope that's at Johnson Space Center in Houston, which is where the interstellar aerogel tiles um, are. And that automated microscope collects images in the stacks. So it will go to a field of view and then it will take a series of images, about 43 images usually, over a range of about 200 microns in depth. Um, and so when you are working on the Stardust at Home website on the virtual microscope and you move your mouse up and down a little slider, it's just as if you were focusing with a real microscope up and down through this transparent aerogel to look for the three-dimensional track that's, that's, uh, that's there or not. Usually not, <laughs> but because they're very rare. What do these dusters get out of spending hours at their computers poring over these aerogel images? Glory, for one thing. Every so often, the Stardust at Home team sneaks in a calibration image, one that they know contains a particle track, or one that's been searched and is known to be empty. This way, they can keep track of how the dusters are doing, and as a result, they have a built-in scoring mechanism for all of the volunteers. So if you're a Stardust at Home duster, then you know what your score is, and you also know what your rank is among all the people who are participating. And, uh, and so that's, you know, that, that kind of makes it into a little bit of a game, and, and for a lot of people, that's, that's a lot of fun and, and, uh, and very motivating. That's not all, though. Dusters who discover an interstellar particle get the privilege of naming it and appear as co-authors when the research is published. In 2010, Bruce Hudson, a retired carpenter from Ontario, Canada, found the first particle to be identified as an interstellar dust grain. He named it Orion and has been a co-author on more than a dozen scholarly papers. It's this possibility, Westfall maintains, that lies at the heart of any citizen science project's success. The reason I think that so many people got involved in Stardust at Home is because they knew that it was they were really contributing. It wasn't just make work made up to to you know to to engage the public. It's because we really didn't know how else to do it. Citizen scientists who volunteer their time do it because they want to contribute and they want to know that their efforts are making a difference. People have good nonsense detectors, you know. Dr. Meg Schwamm, co-founder of Planet Hunters, agrees. The number one reason that people participate is because they want to contribute to science. And I think that's really special because it's giving a gateway into actual scientific research and, you know, they're helping contribute in ways that you couldn't do before. Now a postdoctoral fellow at the Institute for Astronomy and Astrophysics at Taiwan's Academia Sinica, Schwamm co-founded the Citizen Science Project in 2010 in an attempt to find extrasolar planets that were otherwise escaping notice. You see, in 2009, NASA launched the Kepler mission, which was designed to stare at a very small patch of sky and carefully measure the amount of light coming back from all of the stars in that field of view. If one of those distant stars has a planet orbiting around it, and if that orbit has the right orientation with respect to the Earth, then the planet will pass in front of the star every time it comes around, blocking some of its light. Kepler measured these little dips in starlight, or transits, and has found more than 400 other solar systems this way. 
But the automated software looking for these little dips can be fooled. And that's where human eyes come in really handy. A transit happens once per orbit of a planet. Um, so once in terms of its year. And so you, you watch the star and if you see this repeated signal, then that's, you know, telling you that there's a planet there. But also stars are very variable. They have star spots, they have flares, they change in brightness, they pulsate. And it can be difficult for an automated software routine to see that tiny dip in starlight that's due to the planet on top of these other variations that might be going on at the same time. And so when the first public data came out and, and we were looking at the light curves, it was the question became, you know, are there things that the automated routines are going to miss because of these other signals on top of it? You know, will you be able to see if the star is very variable? Will you be able to see and take out that signal to find the transits in the light curve? And so it was kind of a gamble. It was a long shot that, you know, just maybe there's some cases where the humans will outperform the machines. For the Planet Hunters team, that gamble has paid off. More than 40 planet candidates that originally slipped through the cracks are now being investigated, and of these, a handful have been confirmed as genuine extrasolar planets. One of them, now dubbed PH1, or Planet Hunters 1, is extra special. So it's the first planet ever discovered in a four-star system. It's a planet orbiting two stars. Basically, it's a Tatooine, so George Lucas was right. And then, outside the orbit of the planet, a hundred billion miles away, there's another two stars orbiting the whole system. It's the first planet we've ever found with a stable orbit in a four-star, double-binary system. And the, really, the reason it was found was because we had our volunteers looking through the data. People, it turns out, are really good at recognizing patterns. And that, says Schwamm, is the key to citizen science. The skills that we've learned from hunting and gathering and figuring out patterns and identifying outliers is inherently in our brains. It's evolved with us. We know how to do it without really thinking much about it. And, you know, it's something that we, it's really hard to make a computer do, but it's really easy to show people, you know, a set of images and ask for the thing that doesn't belong. This innate talent we have for picking out patterns combined with the distributed power of the internet opens up all kinds of possibilities for citizen science. Planet Hunters is one of many crowdsourcing projects that make up the Zooniverse, an online platform where volunteers can contribute to anything from classifying bat calls to understanding tropical cyclones. Many Zooniverse projects focus on astronomy, with its deluge of data from Kepler, sky surveys, and recent planetary missions to the Moon and Mars. Particle physics has also made its debut this month with Higgs Hunters, a new effort to help understand the Higgs field. In 2012, teams from the Large Hadron Collider announced the discovery of the Higgs boson, the missing particle in the standard model of physics that can be created by colliding two protons traveling at nearly the speed of light. A thousand trillion collisions were analyzed to identify this particle, and now volunteers can help the physicists understand how the Higgs behaves. By looking at the paths of charged particles logged by the detectors, volunteers can help catalog what are called exotic decays. In these cases, particles that can only exist for a very short time, like the Higgs, are created in the initial collision, then bounce off in a new direction and quickly fall apart, leaving a characteristic pattern of particle paths. Here's Dr. Alan Barr, professor of particle physics at the University of Oxford, introducing the project on the Higgs Hunters website. Even with machines like this one, there's an awful lot more still to find out. 
One of those things is to work out exactly how the Higgs boson falls apart, how it decays. It may do this in ways which are unexpected, and this is where you can help. We need you to help us analyse the data coming from the Large Hadron Collider, because if you do so, we may find something completely new and unexpected. You could revolutionise our understanding of the universe. With all of these projects coming online, it may be difficult to choose just one. But whichever task tickles your fancy, you can go in knowing that these scientists really need your help. There are some tasks that it's just easier if you can get 300,000 of your friends to help you out. So dive on in. There's a whole wide world out there and... Every eye, every brain, every click that we get... Is a helping hand in a sea of data.